morning, everybody. Happy day four of the advent calendar. And welcome to the news agenda with me, someone who's already 90% pastry. And today I'm joined by the Mirror's Deputy Political Editor, Ben Glaze. Good morning, Ben. Morning, morning. Are you feeling Christmassy? I can see you have a tree up in the background. Christmas tree, been listening to carols, been opening advent calendars. I'm, all, I'm there, I'm there. <laughs> and has your daughter been enjoying it too? <laughs> Is it just oh. you? <laughs> <laughs> Ben's obviously mixed all the chocolate I expect. So what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on the rather eek moment of Labour leader Keir Starmer facing a backlash for praising Maggie Thatcher just when you thought she'd never rear her head again. More on that later. But first, I want to take us to a tiny piece at the bottom of page Umpty Tumpty 2, where the mirror is revealing that the Rwanda government is about to be paid another £15 million for, if I've got this right, Ben, so far not taking a single asylum seeker. Can you explain this to us? Hasn't it already had £140 million quid off us? Why does it need any more? That's right. Well, it's going on for nearly two years since the original Rwanda deal um, was signed between the then Home Secretary, uh, Priti Patel, um, <laughs> and the Rwandan government. Um, and of course, a plane was lined up in June last year to fly to Kigali, the capital, and it never took off at the last minute. European judges said it can't go. And since then, there's been a big legal row um, through British courts, which uh, last month led to the UK Supreme Court saying that the entire policy um, was unlawful and couldn't go ahead, by which point we spent £140 million on it. Now, Rishi Sunak gave a press conference um, at number nine Downing Street um, after that uh, Supreme Court judgment, where he said he was going to rush through legislation that would basically mean that the flights could take off to Randa to support channel migrants and, and get them out of Britain and act as a deterrent effect so no more migrants would try and use small boats to cross channel. He's taken longer than he hoped, and basically the Rwandan government, yes, we said, they've played a bit of a blinder here, because they've said, if you want us to sign this treaty, um, a bilateral treaty, so that's one between the UK and Rwanda, that can then go to international um, judges and tribunals to say, we've agreed this. If you want us to sign that and make this plan work, that'll be 15 million pounds, please. So it'll take to 155 million, the money we've spent so far. And actually, we might have spent more, we just don't know. This is only the money we know about. So I'll take that to 155 million um, and still no migrant has been sent to Rwanda. Just astonishing, really. But I mean, well done, Rwanda, for managing to screw some more cash out of it. Um, so what do you think, everybody? Do you think it's fair enough that we pay them a little bit extra to get this treaty over the line? I assume, Ben, if it was an international treaty and it therefore has to be discussed and decided by international courts, it kind of removes it from the jurisdiction of the UK courts. Is that why they're doing it? What you do, and this is an international treaty like this, you lodge it with, um, I think it's the United Nations actually, but it's, it's an international tribunal. Um, and that basically says, look, it's all fine. Now, the problem that you've got is that it's trying to override a decision of the UK Supreme Court. And you can't just say, well, it's all fine. So there's a suggestion that Richie Sunak might try and uh, pass sort of one-line legislation in, in the British Parliament that just says Rwanda is a safe country because the judge's main concern, and there were several concerns about it, but one of the biggest ones was that Rwanda is potentially not a safe country to send migrants to. Um, and Rishi Sunak is obviously arguing it is, and he thinks that if you pass a law um, by MPs in the House of Commons and obviously later in the House of Lords saying that, well, it is now, 
that will be enough. It has to be said, there's quite a lot of legal scepticism about whether or not that will fly, but pardon the pun. Um, it's, it's unlikely that that on its own will be enough. But the problem the Prime Minister's got is that there are the, sort of the, the, the liberals, if you like, within the Conservative Party, the wets, as Margaret Thatcher used to call them, mm. who don't like all this. You know, they don't think it's the correct way to be treating asylum seekers. Um, some refugees, obviously some of them are economic migrants, um, but they think there is a better solution to it. And then on the other flank of the Conservative Party, you've got the hard right, the new Conservatives, as they're called, a lot of those that were elected for the first time in December 2019, so the Red Wall Tories, they want a harder stance than the Prime Minister is prepared to take. Some of them want to pull out of the European Convention on Human Rights, which is the legislation that eventually stopped that flight back in June 2022, taken off from uh, RAF Boscombe down in Wiltshire. So the Prime Minister is trying to juggle all that. Um, and obviously, his, one of his five pledges that he set out last January was to stop the votes. Um, numbers have come down. Compared with last year, the number of people arriving over that perilous route, but he's not stopped it at all. It's more than twenty-five thousand so far this year, which is he's not stopping it. Um, so he's trying to sort of balance and keep on side both those competing flanks of his own party. And this is bizarre, isn't it? Because the reason that the numbers on votes have come down is because Rishi Sunak's government um, has made some payments, and I think it's about sixty million to. Uh, France, which has cooperated and therefore is, is doing more to tackle the boats crossing starting in the first place. Now, for a, a few million to France to have, a, I think it's about a third, the numbers have come down, seems like a good idea, compared to 150 million to Rwanda to take people who are probably genuine asylum seekers and uh, haven't even done that. Doesn't seem like very good value for money at all. But what do you think, everybody? What do you think Rishi can do next on this or should do next on this? Because I mean, his premiership sort of hanging on it, really. He said, like like you said, he said he'd stop the boats. His voters expect it. The backbenchers expect it. He's got some very uh, growing, big and growing splits in his party about all of it. And the Supreme Court says it's not a go, so he's got to rewrite the whole thing. But we saw in the papers over the weekend, Ben, that um, he reckons he can get legislation through in February or start that legislation in February. But that's a week or two after they come back from the Christmas break. And of course, it still has to go through the Lords and the Commons several times. It's got to go back and forth and several, several readings before it can be enacted. And that takes, I think, around a year. So if that's maybe going to start in February and it's going to take a year, we've got a general election due by January next year. Can he do it in time? Um, obviously, there are ways of speeding up legislation. You know, you can have emergency legislation. If, you, if the Prime Minister wants something to happen quickly, um, he can, you know, he can basically force all, all nice sittings of Parliament. It's incredibly rare, you know, it doesn't happen these days anymore. But if he said, you know, we want to get this done and the, the logistics stopping this getting done because people can't be bothered to sit through the night, it'll happen. Mm. Um, just to go back as well, one of the, the main reasons for the reduction in numbers so far this year, there is that deal with France, actually. Um, we, a pack of us went over on the Eurostar with the Prime Minister to the Elysee Palace back in March. Well, uh, that's nice, because the mirror got banned from the Eurostar years ago. To, um, to go oh. and uh, to, to look at him, sign this deal, we're basically we're handing over, I think it's actually hundreds of millions of pounds to Paris to, um, to get them to patrol the French beaches and Northern France beaches. And of course, there's the returns deal with Albania because a, a higher proportion last year of um, the migrants who were coming over on small boats were from Albania. Well, the government struck a deal with, um, with the Albanian government that they would basically fast track them back 
to Albania, um, which obviously sends some of them back, the ones who are here. But crucially, from the government's point of view, it acted as that deterrent effect. So an Albanian wanting to come to Britain could see that if they used a small boat to get over here, they'd be kicked back straight to Albania within within days or certainly within weeks in some cases. Um, so that was that's at least according to the government, has had a big impact on the numbers crossing this year. Also, it should be said as well, the weather um, has a big impact. So if it's choppy seas, strong winds, not good for inflatable boats going across a, a very narrow shipping lane, world's busiest shipping lane, 500 vessels a day up and down the Strait of Dover. Um, so that also has an impact. Uh, so the numbers haven't come down anywhere near as much as he wants. He's made this a massive part of his premiership. And yes, we could have an election in May next year. Um, I've always thought it would be autumn. Legally, it has to take place by, I think it's January the 25th, 2025. Um, no one thinks the Prime Minister will wait that long. One of the reasons that he could call the election in May is because obviously calmer seas in summer, the number of voyages, crossings goes up in the better weather. So you, if you had the election early in May, you would avoid potentially boat crossings, TV pictures, pictures in newspapers for a lot of May, June, July and August. Whereas if you waited till October, you'd have four or five months of decent weather during which more migrants can come. Yeah. And the longer it takes as well, because I suppose in May you could say, look, I've, I've got this legislation. I need to push it through. Vote for me. And that might be enough. Now, what do you think, everybody? Um, do you think that uh, Rishi's really got to get this through? I'm going to say his premiership sort of hanging on a thread a bit by this. He's got maybe, what, 20 MPs in the common sense group, which are kind of the noisiest pro Rwanda lot on the, the Tory benches, although there's plenty of others as well. Um, as sort of led by Sir John Hayes, who is the sort of former bag carrier for Suella Braverman. Uh, and you've got perhaps maybe 110 or so in the One Nation caucus, the, the part of the, what Maggie would call the Tory wets, but uh, the part of the party which will rebel if Rishi threatens to um, scrap any part of the Human Rights Act or leave the European Convention on Human Rights. So does the parliamentary mass, I suppose, add up, Ben, if you've got some a, a minority of very, very noisy uh, MPs want you to do one thing, but you've got a, a far greater number of more quiet MPs that perhaps may cause you more problems in the long run. If they, if he has, if he is forced to scrap some part of the Human Rights Act in order to get this legislation through, is he going to face a rebellion from you know a good chunk of those 110 One Nation MPs, and therefore is his is his leadership perhaps at risk maybe before May? I think it's worth remembering that the Conservative Party and indeed almost all MPs agree that you have to stop the small boat crossings. The, the divisions come over how you do that. Now, within um, the Conservative Party, there are different factions who want different ways to do it. The key dividing line is whether or not you abandon human rights legislation. Um, so the European Convention on Human Rights, which Britain helped set up back in the 50s, um, was incorporated into British law via the 1998 Human Rights Act, which was pushed through was one of the first acts of legislation by Tony Blair's new Labour government. So it's on the statute book, it is British law. If the Prime Minister and various Prime Ministers, you know, they've always they've hinted that they might do that. Number 10 has never said that it will, right? It's suggested that we don't think we need to do that. So basically you're holding a sword of Damocles over the ECHR basically saying, if you don't give us our way, we could do this. They're not going to do it. So the hard right lot 
in the Conservative benches who are pushing for it. They're in a minority in the Conservative Party and they're not going to get what they want through this Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak. So he's he's far more likely to stick with the One Nation Caucus and stick to those human rights laws. Now, even the MPs within the One Nation um, faction who don't like the Rwanda plan aren't actually that opposed to it. So they, they might not like it, but essentially they've got a better idea and they will vote with the government to push through the plan. The danger for the Prime Minister is if people try to amend any legislation that comes um, to Parliament, and bear in mind we are, you know, we're weeks away from that happening because he hasn't, the Home Secretary, James Cleverley, hasn't even flown to Rand yet to sign this treaty, and the treaty's one part of it. If there was an amendment to the legislation that tries to push harder and even suggested pulling out of the ECHR, that's where it would become tricky for the Prime Minister. The, the rebels wouldn't win, but it would be a big revolt against his leadership. Exactly. And it started to look really unstable. And there's been one or two people talking about um, letters of no confidence going in already and <clears throat> moves starting in the new year. So we'll have to wait and see how things pan out with that. Now, thank you for that, Ben. I'll have to wait and see, won't we, how, how things move on with Rwanda as uh, things progress. But on to the main story of the day. And the Labour leader, Keir Starmer, appears to have scored an own goal. Uh, with a, an article he wrote, an unforced error, if you like. He wrote for a Tory paper yesterday in which he's been accused of praising Margaret Thatcher, the bête noire of the left, the most hated premier in much of the Labour heartlands. Has he actually done that, Ben? Has he praised her? Is this um, is this something that he's, he's put his foot in it somehow? So I've read the article. It's, it's nuanced in what he said, but I think he went further than perhaps he should have done because, you know, she's such a divisive figureheads um, mm. um, for many on the left. You know, it's 33 years since she left number 10, having been in Downing Street throughout the 1980s. And still we're talking about, you know, she's been dead for 10 years. Um, what he actually wrote, I've got the words in front of me, every moment of meaningful change in modern British politics begins with the realisation that politics must act in service of the British people rather than dictating to them. Margaret Thatcher sought to drag Britain out of its stupor by setting loose on natural entrepreneurialism. Um, you know, well, you say under, under the Labour government that preceded late that preceded Maggie that it was in a stupor. Which yeah, was, well, that's yeah, that's one point. It's been up to 1979, and but he he also drew parallels with um, Clement Attlee, who came to power in 1945 immediately after the Second World War, when Britain was so grateful to Winston Churchill for seeing off the Nazis that they voted him out of office, albeit mm -hmm. voting back in five years later, six years later. Um, but in 1945, Clement Attlee, you know, reformed the country, you know, set up the National Health Service, um, the welfare state. So Keir Starmer pointed to that. He also then pointed to Blair's 97 government. So these are obviously huge figures, prime ministers, who did reform the country. The problem that he's got in making the argument, and I think, I think some on Labour, certainly you know, around Keir Starmer, were actually a bit stung by the level of backlash that it provoked. Um, you know, it's not just some of the hard left unions. It's also, there are also MPs. Um, you know, on, on the Labour backbenches who were very surprised and in some cases angry about it. And of course, it's on the front page of the Labour Sporting Daily Mirror. Um, so he, he, what he was trying to do was appeal. And the op-ed he wrote was in the Sunday Telegraph, you know, Bible of the Tory shires, trying to show them that 
he appreciated, and that's my word, not his, appreciated or understood why Margaret Thatcher had done what she did. And obviously she would be hugely powerful and the reforming zeal that she had. I think it's slightly misjudged because you're not going to win over a huge number of Telegraph readers just by paying some little homage to Margaret Thatcher. And you have upset quite a lot of people. You're not your own natural supporters, your own mm. natural supporters. So I think he's misjudged this one. Yeah, there's there's ways of doing it, isn't there? You could easily say, you know, Margaret Thatcher was driven. Um, and although I and Telegraph readers may not agree on exactly what the effects of that were, dumpty, 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 dump. There's ways of couching it, but it does seem to have um been a bit of a been a bit of a sore point. And what do you think, everybody? Have you seen um Keir's article, if you just seen the reaction, because I mean, it's the reaction most people are going to see, and it's the word backlash and Maggie and stuff like we've got in our own Aston down the bottom there. That's the thing people are going to see. I'm going to assume that he's he's somehow he has kind of praised her. And he didn't. Um, let's be clear, he didn't say Maggie Thatcher was a great prime minister. He just said um, there are a number of prime ministers. She's one of them who had some reforming zeal and made big changes. And he's kind of exposing the fact that Rishi Sunak. What is the article is about is that Rishi Sunak doesn't have that kind of zeal and doesn't have that kind of message. But I suppose the question is, you know, has Maggie's ghost actually managed to derail another Labour leader? You know, her, her popularity and her bombast in the 80s did for Kinnock. Is she somehow able to dent the current Labour leader, even from beyond the grave, do you think? It's, it's worth remembering as well that after he written this piece on Sunday Telegraph. He later gave an interview to the BBC. I'll just read you a little bit of what it says because it does try to put into context and try to ameliorate what he was saying. So he says, it doesn't mean I agree with what she, Thatcher, did, but I don't think anybody could suggest she didn't have a driving sense of purpose. We've declined as a country in the past 13 years, blah, blah, blah. The point I'm making in that article is that you can distinguish political leaders, certainly in the post-war period, into those that had a plan and a sense of mission and those that drifted, essentially. So, you know, he's, he's acknowledging what she did. It's huge privatisation of utilities, um, you know, water, gas, electricity. Um, you know, I'm from South Wales. So you only have to drive like 10 miles north of Cardiff, not even that, to see the, the mines that were closed. Now, some people look back, very in the spectrum, and go, well, that one, she was a, you know, the, um, the godmother of net zero by closing the coal mines. Well, that's certainly how it wasn't portrayed in the 1980s, how it was portrayed in the 1980s. when it's the godmother of the dirty water. And yeah. the, you know, steelworks closing across the country. Now, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah, so, I, you know, they, these comments have caused a lot of anger, have already caused a lot of anger. In some of those industrial heartlands that had their industries ripped out, like South Wales, parts of the northeast, and also in Scotland as well. Yeah. Um, so it's just not one of those things that I think could have been written a bit better. And obviously those kind of articles that get produced have names of politicians on usually get written by a committee. There's more than one person that works on it. They get signed off by a number of people. And this isn't the first time that Keir Starmer's had to put into context the thing he's just been criticised for saying 24 hours earlier. Uh, I suppose you know, the left is obviously up in arms. Um, what do you think, everybody? Do you think this is just an outrageous thing? Do you, do you want to vote for a leader that's capable of praising Maggie Thatcher's drive or not? Are you Labour? Are you Tory? Does it make any difference to you? Let us know. Get into the comments. Um, so the lefties are up in arms. Mostly it would appear because the words Margaret and Thatcher came out of Keir's mouth and uh, he didn't spit them out. But reading the article, you know, it's a it's pretty it is quite nuanced, as you say. 
Um, <clears throat> is this going to hurt Starmer, do you think, in the long run, once this little bit of rouse over? Or is it going to just get us talking about what, what he's trying to say in the article, which is how little Sunak is doing and how, how little motivation he appears to have? I think as well, the Labour leader is now starting to understand proper scrutiny because for the first couple of years, um, obviously we had, of, of his leadership of the party, it was dominated by COVID. He really struggled to get a hearing and he wasn't able to go out campaigning around the country literally because we were in lockdown. Um, so over the past 18 months, the party, the, the leadership hierarchy have been introducing him to the public and with that introduction and the closer you get to power and you know regularly they've got poll leads in the high teens even 20 odd points you get far more scrutiny so not just of your policies but also what you believe so this article he's written and because he's a more important figure let's face it than he was three and a half years ago because he is likely to be our next prime minister according to the polls so what he says matters so the scrutiny that this article has had and some of the you know you remember a few weeks back what he said about um gaza and palestinians and the uh, attacks on israel he came in for a fair bit of criticism for that this is what it will be like when he's prime minister particularly you know if you've got a press that is against you um, he's not, even if he won, he wouldn't ride into number 10 with the full backing of quite a lot of the right wing press as, as Tony Blair did, where people, newspapers, the public was prepared to give him a hearing. Um, he would still face difficulties. That's interesting as well. That obviously, he chose to write this piece for the Sunday Telegraph. Um, you know, he didn't, didn't, it's not in the mirror, is it? It's not in the, in the Observer on yesterday. It was in the Sunday Telegraph. So deliberately pitching to Conservative voters to try and show them that they have nothing to fear from him as Prime Minister. Will it hurt him in the long run? I mean, the people who are kicking off the, the NUM and uh, some of the other harder left unions and backbench Labour MPs who are seen traditionally on the left of the party, well, they're not going to not vote Labour at the next election because of this article that Keir Starmer has written. Um, they might be disappointed that they haven't got a harder left leader in place, but you know that experiment was tried and failed, yeah. um, so quite happily, but in December 2019, the worst defeat for the Labour Party since 1935. Yeah, and they've, they've, you know, they've tried that before, like you say, and it's not that they've got anybody else to vote for, is it? Because it's, it's Keir Starmer, like him or not, who is actually um, answerable to, you know, the National Executive Committee and the party, perhaps, in a way that Conservative Prime Ministers don't tend to have quite the same um, uh, mechanisms for having a go at them. Now, Peter on Twitter says, what's Starmer thinking about praising the third worst prime minister after Johnson and Trust? Has he had a mental breakdown? Uh, as other people sort of posting pictures of Starmer and Tony Blair and talking about the devil and his disciple, there are, you know, lefties who are just never, ever going to be um, happy about him mentioning Thatcher. But as someone else uh, is just pointing out on Twitter, Martin says, yeah, but whatever he said, he's not the one who's been flushing this country down the toilet for the past 14 years, which is quite right, I suppose. And I suppose what he's trying to say to those Telegraph readers is you can't trust Sunak. You can't, he's not going to reform anything. You need change. Even the retired colonels of the shires are at the point of wanting some change. And Sunak's not your man for it. He's trying to get that message into them, I suppose. Um, but does it affect his chances? It doesn't really affect his chances, particularly with the Labour base, like we've said. There's almost nothing he could do that would please a die-hard Corbynista, is there? So, there isn't. And one of the things I think that some Labour MPs who, who disagree with this article um, 
might the point they might make is Starmer didn't need to do this. You know, you've got such a huge poll lead that you don't need to basically irritate your natural supporters by trying to win over a few people that you're not going to win over anyway. And you're already 20 points ahead in the polls. What was the point? You just started a row. That's mm. that's part of it. But then we spent, you know, part of the morning and like a, a lot of yesterday, the commentary was taken up by it. Um, and so people are talking about Keir Starmer, you know, is it anything worse than not being talked about, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. So the fact that people are talking about it and perhaps Keir Starmer thought he was trying to move a little bit more to the centre ground where elections are won and lost, um, it's, it's key to winning over some of the voters. You know, there's a number of seats where you, you remember from past elections like Labour winning um, inner cities by 20,000 vote majorities, a huge majority, 25,000 in some cases, right? You also need to win those towns, some of whom who did like Thatcher, you know, respected what she did. You look at where she won the 1983 election, um, she won over swathes of the country. And perhaps he thinks he needs to do that to try and shore up his base because it's not enough to pile up huge votes in inner cities. You also need to win the towns. And that's key to the victory. And you can do that by moving to the centre ground. You might alienate some of your other supporters, but essentially, where else are they going to go? Well, exactly. There is that. There are only two choices, aren't there? And I suppose as well, there um, there's also the suggestion that maybe that he's just trying to paint himself as as one of those reforming, zealous prime ministers who's going to make great changes, which is not something that's kind of been uh, baked in perhaps to his his image so far. Now, I'm afraid, uh, Ben, you've come in for some criticism on Twitter. David says he didn't praise her, he referenced her. There's a big difference that these are media lies. Um, Shimoshi has said, Godmother of net zero, you let this mongrel get away with such absurd levels of revisionist greenwashing. He's not a mongrel, he's pedigree, Ben. I didn't say, say it was what I thought. I said some people, and I did say Godmother, not Godmother. Exactly. And someone else has sent me some links to Gordon Brown praising Thatcher as well about 16 years ago. It's one of those things that prime ministers do tend to want to reference successful prime ministers of the past. And uh, Labour has certainly referenced Maggie before. But um, we are where we are, uh, as it's often been said. So, right. Thank you for taking us through some of that, Ben. We'll have to see won't we, how long this kerfuffle lasts this week. I, su I suggest, I suspect this this particular mess won't last until Friday. But um, maybe Keir does need some fresh help with um, with the old writing articles and stuff. Happy to help, Keir. Just get get on them. Um, freelance rates are available. So uh, don't worry. I'm happy to help you out. Now, um, we have managed to find some good news in the world for you. This will cheer you up, lefty or otherwise. Here it is. Now, it's been three long years, he's been fired, he's been fined. Still no one has managed to get Boris Johnson to tell the truth or admit that he's an awful, lying, liar human being. Um, but this week, the COVID inquiry may just do that with a King's Council finally given the chance to pick apart the bluster and bombast of Boris Johnson, who will be under oath. Not that that would probably make much difference to him, but it will to the rest of us. Now, despite the fact that he's leaked his statement in advance and uh, he's going to say sorry, he's going to have a very torrid time of it, isn't he, Ben? Is there anyone you'd rather see Boris Johnson face, other than perhaps Pippa Crera, former party pooper of this parish, um, to face questions? Doesn't this prove that every lie eventually does come home to roost? Well, it's some blockbuster viewing, isn't it, Wednesday and Thursday? So he's the only witness appearing at the COVID inquiry this week. 
So cleared the deck. So uh, it's not sitting today or tomorrow. Wednesday and Thursday, former Prime Minister Boris Johnson up at the COVID inquiry. So the lead counsel, Hugo Keith KC, um, he's going to be grilling former Prime Minister for two full days in front of um, Baroness Heather Hallett, who's the inquiry chairwoman. There's so much to ask him. Um, His allies leaked quite a lot into uh, the papers over the weekend Mm. uh, about what his defence is going to be. We know he's going to point to the vaccine rollout. Um, He's going to say, and there is some sympathy with this argument. Again, it's not me saying it, but there is a school of thought that says, as the Prime Minister, you are duty bound to hear the for and against certain things, particularly when it comes to lockdown. And then you take a decision. The problem, many critics say, particularly the families, is he took too long to make a decision. Um, so when he will say at the inquiry that it's all very well just hearing from the scientists who say, do this, do that. He also wanted to hear from the opposing sides or people who were worried about the length of lockdowns as to the negative effects of lockdowns, which there undoubtedly were. And he mm. had to balance that. You know, he faced um, he faced questions, he faced judgments that no prime minister has had to make since since literally the second world war so he'll say that then of course we will expect that he'll be asked about what sort of messages sent out that they were breaking rules having parties that he was fined the chaos over the tier system in autumn 2020 which even those of us who have been briefed regularly um on how it was worked you know really struggled to get our head around was a scotch egg and meal you remember those days yeah <laughs> also scotch eggs and meal it's a complete meal in a ball it's a full every food group is represented it was my sustenance on every doorstep when i was an on the road news reporter scotch egg ribena mars bar you're done that's it for 24 hours anyway um it does actually it feels good that he should be up there and having to answer questions and under oath and i shall certainly be pointing out to my small daughter that this is how fairy tales end. Um, Mike says, Johnson's appearance at the COVID inquiry will overshadow any kerfuffle about Starmer. Perhaps it's a good way to, maybe it was all some great plan, uh, if you're right, Mike, that, you know, this is, if you want, if you've got to praise Margaret Thatcher, do it 24 hours, 48 hours before uh, Boris Johnson, you know, is going to come and steal all the headlines away from you. So it has a big burst and then goes away again. We'll have to wait and see, won't we, how it all pans out. Um, <clears throat> but he will at least be trying to have to answer some questions. And I suspect not just he'll be saying that I have to make these difficult decisions, but obviously some of the evidence that's been there already was that he made one decision and someone else went in the room and he made a different one. And he never he never stuck. Funnily enough, for a man who's never stuck with one woman or one idea or one side of the Brexit debate, he just didn't stick with any decision that he made. He just kept chopping and changing. And, you know, he probably wore his pants for longer than he wore the same idea. John says, Boris Johnson and Donald Trump, the world was so unlucky in 2020. COVID was just a third after both of those, probably. Um, We'll have to... um, Wait to see how things pan out on Thursday, Wednesday and Thursday, isn't it? Boris is there. I dare say these channels will be carrying it live. So do tune in and um, just get to sit and enjoy Boris Johnson wriggling and writhing on the hook, which is what we all want to see. I suspect it can be even better than watching Matt Hancock get smacked in the face on Celebrity SAS. Um, it was all a cheer for Hugo Keith KC and hope that he does his homework before he gets in there. So I'm sure he will. Right. Thank you, Ben, for taking us through all of that. Thank you, everyone, for taking part uh, on Twitter mostly today because everyone's been bickering on Facebook. Um, 
join us again on Wednesday, where I dare say we will be having a throw forward to what Boris Johnson might be saying at the COVID inquiry when he appears there that week, uh, on Wednesday rather. If you're listening on podcast, please leave us a review. And until then, everybody, uh, we'll take care of yourselves and we'll see you on Wednesday morning for another edition of the News Agenda. Tatty bye. Mm-hmm.